Welcome to The Alternative Investor, the show where we discuss, debunk, and demystify all things about investing in alternative assets. All right, Brad, how to not get Bernie Madoff. What are we talking about today? We're talking about how not to lose your money and have some guy abscond to Mexico with your hard-earned cash. (laughs) Let's be clear. We're talking about how not to lose your money through fraud. We're not going to tell you how not to lose your money through a crappy investment. You can lose your money many different ways, but hopefully we're going to help you not lose your money by some guy putting it in a suitcase and taking off. Right, because remember, alternative investments, folks, one of the advantages of these things is that they are, um, they're they're more inefficient, they're less less heavily regulated by the uh, federal government, so... Therefore, you're going to need to do more work when you're investing in alternative assets to make sure you're investing in a legitimate opportunity. Yeah, short of Enron, right? Most public companies, they get audited financials. You have a lot of different analysts looking at the financials. It's a lot harder to pull something shady as the CEO of a company of a public company versus a private offering where not that many people are looking at these financials and analyzing the company day in and day out. Yeah, there's there's definitely more ways to be sneaky um, okay, so we're going to talk about a few of the things you can do to, to minimize the chances that you're going to be uh, in getting into a fraudulent scenario. And recall that we're going to talk about there's two different ways of accessing alternative investments, right? So there's you can invest directly into a deal, you know, whether it's a, an apartment building or a private company. Maybe your buddy wants to buy a company and he's asking you to invest. You can you can invest directly, or you can invest into a fund a venture fund, a real estate fund, a private equity fund, and then those folks in, in turn will invest directly into the companies. And so we're going to, you know, they're slightly different. Some of these things will apply to one and not the other, and we'll try to highlight those as we go through them. Okay, so let's start with the actual sponsor, Brad. What should you be doing uh, when you're investigating the sponsor on, a, on, a, on an alternative asset? Yeah, a couple of things. Besides the obvious stuff about checking their track record, making sure they have a website that it looks like they do exist, maybe even looking at their LinkedIn page to see it's consistent with what they're presenting, right? That's just the basic stuff. But ideally, you'd also like to talk to the sponsor if you can, whoever's making the decisions. Granted, the the large funds, you know, you're not going to get to talk to Steve Schwartzman at Blackstone, right? But if it's a smaller operation or even medium size, depending on the check that you're writing, you often can get access to the you know, the, the managing partners of these funds. So you try to talk to them, just a gut check right on the sponsor. Then you can also do some more formal due diligence in terms of doing a background check on the managing partners, right? You can do research on the actual company itself to make sure it's in good standing with whatever state it's been organized in, right? You can uh, check for references from both the investors in the current fund or the current company, or you can do reference checks from their vendors, like their controller, their CPA, uh, their lawyer, uh, their securities lawyer, right? And the more people you talk to, right, the less likely something's going to slip through the cracks and, you know, you, you're going to check out these guys and figure out they're legit. Yeah. And, you know, and, and if the sponsor is an individual instead of a fund, you know, maybe, you know, maybe it's a guy that's in your personal network and he, he you know, he's, he's able to buy this multifamily apartment building downtown and now he's raising capital to go do that. Ideally, this is somebody that's in your personal network. You know him. You know people that know him. Your kids have played with his kids. Um, obviously, not a foolproof way of avoiding fraud, but I think it helps a lot. Yeah, for sure. And then also in the background check, you know, not every sponsor is going to be open to this. You need basically their, I think you need their social security number or their date of birth. You need some personal information. So not every sponsor is going to be open to doing that. But you can always ask. 
You can also, to get around that and accomplish the same thing, is ask uh, when was the last time they, they secured debt, a sizable loan? And if you can verify that, then you know that the bank was required to do background checks on that individual or the managing directors who are signing for that loan. And you can accomplish the same goal because you know if, if they cleared them and did the loan, then they're going to they're going to come out clean on a criminal background check. Yeah, and if worse comes to worse, just Google them. I mean, it's my favorite thing to do with people. I love googling people. I've, I googled you this morning, Brad. Oh, you did. Anything cool pop up? Yeah, not. I can't talk about it on the show. Okay, but good. Yeah, Google someone. Make sure they haven't been sued or have sued for you know a reason that you find unacceptable. Um, you know, there's a bunch of websites out there where that kind of stuff will pop up. So just do your work. Make sure that the sponsor, whether it's an individual or it's a fund. Make sure they check out, make sure they're legitimate people, they have reasonable backgrounds, talk to their references, talk to people that have worked with them. Um, yeah, but do all that. Okay, so that's the sponsor themselves. Plenty of stuff you can do there. Now we're going to talk about some stuff to do on the specific deal itself. So whether you're investing in a fund or you're investing in a company or a real estate asset, here's some stuff you can do before that deal closes that's going to help you avoid fraud. My favorite, Brad, is just the, the gut check, right? Is this too good to be true? Is this, is this some sort of scheme that involves the Caribbean or the Bahamas or the Cayman <laughs> Islands and you're going to make a ton of money and there's going to be zero risk? Um, just ask yourself that because if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah, and if they start saying that the returns are guaranteed right off the bat, and I keep saying that over and over again, guaranteed returns, that's, that's a warning sign for sure. And then if they, you know, look, if you look at Madoff's returns, 10% in perpetuity, obviously it's a lot easier to you say this after the fact when everybody knows. But, you know, things are volatile. When the market is down and the real estate market's down 30% kind of across the board and these guys are showing returns of 20%, okay, maybe you want to dig into that a little bit more. Uh, I didn't know that. Was, were, was Madoff's returns consistently just every year beating the market? Oh, yeah, it was, a cl- it was clockwork 10%. Oh, there you go. Okay. Which is why it was so, you know, shady, that's right? Just, because That's just dumb. I feel like he should have thrown in a, a 7% year or 11% year. Well, it fooled a lot of people, so I'm not going <laughs> to... Present company excluded. We, we, we did not have access. So we, could, we couldn't get in the fund if we wanted to. That was part of the marketing. There right? you go. Okay, so what, you know, basic stuff. Visit the asset, right? I mean, if, if somebody's saying, hey, we're going to buy the apartment building at 5th and Main, drive to 5th and Main, make sure there's an apartment building there. If it's not in your town, look at it on Google Maps, make sure it exists. Um, if it's a company, uh, ideally you'd be able to actually visit the company. Make sure, you know, it's, it have four walls, it have a building, it have cars in the parking lot, trucks delivering goods, trucks taking away goods people at the front desk. I mean, just, you know, basic stuff you can be doing just to making sure that the asset exists. Yeah. And ask for financials, right? If they are analyzing this deal and it's an existing asset, they're going to have requested financials from the current company or property, right? So ask for those same financials. Yeah. But how do you know if those financials are accurate? You don't know for sure, but look, if they were prepared on, you know, the back of a napkin, that's a sign, that's a data point, right? You just want to make sure it makes sense in their the the property or the the asset the company is generating, you know, reasonable cash flow for what you're putting in. If it looks like the thing is going to generate 100% returns day one, cash on cash, well, I'd probably look into that a little bit more. Yeah, well, that's a good point. It feels like a lot of the stuff that we're talking about are just data points. You know, none of these are going to be a foolproof way of avoiding fraud. It's probably impossible to do that. Yeah, uh, if someone has the desire, but. And on the flip side of that too, there's no, or there's very few, they're going to check every box, right? It's rare that you're going to get every answer that you want and it's going to be perfect. There's always going to be holes, right? The point here is more getting a complete picture and trying to figure out if something feels wrong 
or if something really critical to you doesn't check out, well, then just don't do that deal. Yeah, uh, good point. What about talking to customers? I, I kind of like this one. And so, you know, if, let's say you're, you're, again, your friend approaches you and says, hey, I have, I, have, I have the ability to buy this company. You know, it exists. Here's where it is. If you, you know, if you do some work. Figure out who the customers of this company are. You don't have to reveal anything confidential when you're talking to customers. I mean, you can call them and, and sort of just ask general questions about their business. But, you know, make sure that people are actually buying the product of the, whatever this company is just to ensure that revenue is coming in the door. Yeah, or even if it's a real estate asset, talk to some tenants, go to the property, you know, strike up a conversation with somebody. If it's a big enough check to you and it's in your town, that's a pretty easy step. You can call the property manager. I would not say that you are, you know, looking to be a possible investor in the deal and don't tell the tenants that either. But it is a good way to get insight into what's going on on the property, right? If somebody's telling you, oh yeah, the water hasn't worked for three weeks here and this whole place is going down the tubes. You might not want to wire that money. <laughs> yeah, nor do you want to live there. Yeah. So another one, I th- you know, again, if this is an individual sponsor, if this is an individual that's finding a deal that you're going to invest in, just ask good questions. You know, hey, what systems are going to be put in place to prevent employees from basically being fraudulent? You know, things like, you know, who's going to have credit cards? What's going to be the maximum limit on those credit cards? Who has, you know, who can approve checks? What limit can they approve checks up to? Who the bookkeeper is, you know? Is there some separation between the owner of the company and the person who's cutting the checks? Ideally, you'd like to see that. So, you know, just basic questions about governance and process and systems, just common sense stuff. Yeah, you don't want one person having 100% control of the cash, right, ideally. Uh, But if it's a small deal, you know, you, you might have to live with that. But if it's a larger company, they've done multiple deals, they have employees, then at least you know there's going to be some separation and it's at least harder to do shady things, right, because you've got to get... A bunch of people on board with that plan. Yeah. And another one is just if you are investing in a fund, a venture fund, you know, a real estate fund or a private equity fund, just read the docs. I mean, it's amazing how many people sign these things without reading that, you know, remember there's going to be a, a private placement memorandum. There's going to be an operating agreement stipulating sort of how the company is formed and what are some of the rules it's under it's operating under. There's going to be a subscription agreement detailing sort of how your money's going to where your money's going to go and how it's going to get paid. Read those things and make sure that they check out and they seem legitimate. Yeah, because if, if they are putting together bad documents or just generally just not being professional in terms of setting up the company, the documents, the securities agreements, then that's probably a, a telltale sign that they might not run the company in a professional manner or might not take care of your funds in a professional manner. So these are all just signs of how they might be a fiduciary to your funds. Okay, so those are all things you can do before you actually wire money to someone. Oh, by the way, that's probably another one. Where are you wiring the money? <laughs> is, that a, is it a bank that's in, you know, that's located it's in, in Russia? Yeah, is it, is it offshore? Uh, probably another warning sign. Uh, but yeah, those are the kinds of things you can do before the close. Uh, so Brad, let's say that, okay, so you, now you've wired the money, you've done, you've done the deal, the asset hopefully exists because you've checked it out. It better. What, what are some of the things you can do after you've, after you've closed the deal to make sure you're not... Uh, being subjected to fraud. If the deal is big enough, right, if it's a, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 million plus, you're going to want to see financials that are audited every year, ideally. If it's a very complicated portfolio of deals and it's only, you know, 10, 20 million, audited financials probably aren't going to make sense or a very small company, like a $5 million deal, it's probably not going to make sense to do audited financials every year. But if it's of sufficient size, You'd want to see audited financials. Then you're going to want to also get, uh, you know, you can look at the formation docs of when that that company 
uh, or, or the assets were purchased to make sure that it was organized and that firm is actually the owner of that asset, as they told you. Yeah, what are, what are the formation docs? So when you go to start a company, you have to file with whatever state uh, you're organizing in. A lot of them file in Delaware just because it's got very favorable um, corporate law, case law. So you're going to look at the formation docs, the article of incorporation. You can look at certificate of good standing to make sure the company is, is organized and still registered in that state. And then in addition to what, what's filed with whatever state they're organized in, there's also obviously the operating agreement and, and maybe even a closing package right when they bought the asset. In real estate, it's real simple. It's a settlement statement that shows the buyer and the seller and the the prorations of rent and expenses, and it shows when title actually blessed the deal, right? You can get a settlement statement to make sure they actually own it and bought it. With uh, a private company, it's not as standard, right? It could just be, you know, they they wired the money and uh, they signed some paperwork and that was the only documentation that said, hey, you're the new owner. Yeah, and usually what happens when, so let's take a, let's take a, uh, private company example where you know you're actually buying an operating business maybe a you know a furniture store a pizza joint an apparel manufacturer usually what happens is a new company is formed and then that company acquires the assets of the previous company and so you can you know again you'll be looking at the formation documents all this stuff that Brad you just talked about look at that for the the new co the new company that's created make sure it all checks out we've purchased a, a company before uh, without forming the new one. Get out of here. Yeah. You guys are insane. We're crazy. But we, we wanted to make sure that we were buying a clean entity, right? That you couldn't get uh, sued by something that happened 10 years ago, right? So you, you can get a, you can get indemnification, which is just a fancy legal word that just, you know, protects you. Gotcha. Yeah. I, you, you touched on this, but again, for, for operating businesses, at least, and I, Brad, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know how this works in real estate, but you know, you can go you go to the Secretary of State's website where that company exists or where their where their address is, and they they should be registered with that state, right? So, even if a company incorporates in Delaware but they're located in California, they're going to need to file some information with the Secretary of State of California. And so, you can literally go to the website and search for a business name, and you can see things like, um, you know, the statement of information, which has the list of officers and and you know who they are, and you can request a certificate of good standing, which basically says, hey, yeah, the this company exists and their their taxes are paid in full. So there's just you know little things you can do on the Secretary of State's website to help you to just to help you verify that everything's kind of going, at least that the business still exists. Yeah, and because you wouldn't want to see you know that company, uh, the mail for that company, the officers are in the Cayman Islands or in some random country or are going to the prior owner that you that you yeah. know, you know, own the asset before. Just to be clear, if you're listening and you're living in the Cayman Islands, it's probably okay that... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that That's that, a good qualification. That these documents. I mean, this is a global show. So yeah, we're worldwide. Again, after you close, go visit the company. You know, you're, if, like six months post-deal, if you haven't heard anything from the sponsor, you show up at the company. Make, again, make sure there's cars in the parking lot. Make sure that uh, business is being conducted as usual. Uh, uses, you know, make up an excuse, say you're lost and you need to talk to somebody. But, you know, it's, there's nothing to me replaces just kind of physically visiting an asset and just making sure it exists and things look like they're doing okay. All right. So, okay. So that's, uh, that's post-close, right? So you've already wired the money. Let's just hit some general tips and tricks about being smart when you're doing these kind of deals, Brad. Take it away. Well, you probably don't want to put 100% of your alternative investment allocation into one sponsor. Yeah, spread it around. 
right? Spread around. Diversification takes care of a lot of these issues, right? Because look, if you're putting 10% across 10 sponsors or, you know, 5% across 20, you know, you're, you're automatically going to get insulated from a lot of this, you know, nonsense in terms of some guy, you know, doing something shady. Yeah. And I, this is what I told my investors when I, I purchased Birdwell Beach Bridges, the apparel company that I bought, you know, don't put more money into this deal than you can afford to lose. You know, you don't, if you, you know, if you have a million dollars in investable assets, don't put 800 grand in one deal. And that's, if it's going to be super painful and hurt that you're going to lose it, it's just not worth it. It's not a smart investment. Yeah. And then, you know, just trust your gut at some point, right? Once you've done the due diligence, don't get analysis by paralysis or nope, flip that paralysis by analysis. Either one. Yeah. Either one. Both are bad. <laughs> you're right. You, you have the information, you've done the work. Okay. And you now you're going to have a certain feeling. You're either going to feel still excited about doing the deal and feel good about the sponsor and the investment or something's going to, you know, just eat at you and you're going to feel kind of so-so. And that's a deal you should just skip, right? Because you don't have to swing at every pitch. Yep. If you're going to do a deal and you're going to invest in alternative assets, hopefully you'll do uh, most or all of the th- stuff that we talked about and you're, you're going to avoid getting into a situation where you're uh, made off. Yeah, right. just definitely do not go online, spend five minutes, and wire money, right? Because you can do that these days. It's it's a new world. Oh, yeah. Agreed. <laughs> I think we saved a lot of lives today. We hope you get access to many great deals, but don't be a sucker. Before you put your money into a deal, and as long as you have money in that deal, go ahead and adopt Reagan's approach of trust but verify. Yeah, kind of like how your wife calls me after we go out drinking some beers, right? Just to make sure that uh, you are where you say you are. Yeah, exactly, Brett. Thanks for listening to The Alternative Investor. Since you made it this far, you should take a second to subscribe to the podcast and join our email list. There you'll receive additional insights and insider access to the world of alternative investments. Just visit thealternativeinvestorshow.com.